Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Maker Mom podcast. This week's guest is Ariana of Zilani Glass Conservation. I first actually found Ariana threw a post from Dovetail Workwear and found her stuff just super interesting. Um, I will say I don't know of anybody else who does glass conservation so uh, I was really excited when I reached out to Ariana and she agreed to be a guest on the podcast. So there's all kinds of cool things about this episode and I don't want to delay you too much longer Uh, before hopping into the interview. So I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. Thank you so much, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spies, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Sven Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Toolmom Bonnie, ToolmomStore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing and continued support helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. And with no further ado, here is Ariana with Zolani Glass. Well, I will say I start my episodes with letting my guests introduce themselves. So when you are ready, you can go ahead and do that. I am Ariana Macau. I'm the owner and principal conservator of Zilani Glass Conservation and mom of two kids who are nine, 10 in five days uh, and a 12 year old. Nice. Today is my daughter's fifth birthday. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. She's, she's my youngest, but January birthdays. Do you fall in this trap of like, what do I buy you? Because I literally just bought you like everything you wanted a month ago. (laughs) I temper it. I temper it. We actually, we actually, a couple years ago, um, we, instituted a family rule that for um, the holidays, we do family gifts. So the three of us get together and decide on one gift for the fourth. So- Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And sometimes we make stuff. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we um, go out and buy something if something's highly coveted, but it limits the gifts and it also makes it more concentrated and thoughtful. So mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, January birthdays are, are difficult in that regard. They are not as difficult. Both of my, my one brother-in-law and my soon to be other brother-in-law are both Christmas birthdays. 
that's even harder. I know. I <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I would think for the child, it's, it's maybe even harder than the adults. Yes, right? exactly. Like, I didn't get as much <laughs> tallying up. Everything, right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So. All right. Well, before we get into like what you do currently, mm-hmm. I want to take a step back and ask, where did you grow up and what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? Right. Well, I was born in Fort Collins, Colorado. And then on my first birthday, I flew to Kenya, which is where my father is from. Um, Supposedly, I had a birthday party on the plane and the whole plane sang happy birthday to me, but I don't have a recollection of that. (laughs) Um, And so our whole family lived there for a few years. And then when I was about three, I moved back to the States, to Southern California with my mother and my younger sister and uh, grew up. I consider myself basically a Southern California person and uh, was there all the way through college, undergrad college. Um, So that was a pretty significant part of my upbringing. Um, and my father moved back to the States to California a couple of years after that. So, um, but he lived in Northern California. So I, I kind of say I'm a, a real Californian <laughs> spent time in both places. What part of Southern California were you in? I lived in Laverne, um, which is next to the, next to Claremont where the Claremont colleges are. Um, and I had, a, a lucky, um, connection to to the community, which maybe in some parts is, is sort of influenced how my life is now, in that um, my mother's family uh, lived there for um, three generations. So the University of Laverne, my great grandfather was the president of, and so um, it's a small enough town that you know people knew. Um, knew of my family since I was little. So I really felt connected to the, the mm-hmm. city town sort of, you know. Big so town city. of all the places that you could name that you lived in, that is where my wife grew up until she was 12 years old. No. Yes. Really? <laughs> she That's grew- amazing. She was born in Pomona because right. Laverne did not have a hospital. Right. She was born. Uh, so yeah, she was born in Pomona, but she grew up in Laverne, California until she was 12 years old uh, when wow. she moved to Iowa with her, her mom and siblings. So mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I don't wow. think I've ever heard anybody else ever mention Laverne. California. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and my mom was born in um, Pomona as well, because uh-huh. there wasn't a hospital, hospital. Then either. So <laughs> The family tradition. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you had the community connection there, mm-hmm. uh, but what, I mean, were you into sports, into right, art? Right, I was trying to remember the second half of the question. <laughs> so um, my grandparents um, were my after-school care because my mom at that point was a, a single parent teaching in um 
Pomona and then <laughs> Ontario. And so um, my grandmother was a piano teacher. So there was always music around in the, the house. Um, and my grandfather was a draftsman and a carpenter and built lots of things in his garage um, family lore is that he actually built the house that my mom grew up in, in downtown Laverne. And so um, I was always, I always had access to drawing materials and um, my grandmother sewed. And so, you know, I was always making costumes and she would help sew things up. And, and I was really drawn actually to what my grandfather was doing in the garage. And so around six or seven, he gave me my first toolkit. Uh, and I am very grateful that it wasn't even on anyone's radar that I should get a pink plastic pretend toolkit. I just got a hammer that fit my hand and um, you know, access to tools that I could use and, and tutelage on how to use them safely. And then sort of, you know, he let me go. And the first thing I ever built after getting that hammer, I remember he had a piece of wood that had been bent in the rain. And it was a really nice, in my mind, a good curve for, for your back. And so I built a chair and not only could I sit on it, but my grandpa could stand on it. So I thought, you know, something that a big adult could stand on that was stable enough. I was very proud of that. So, um, yeah, that's, that was my influence. So I, I've always liked to make things with my hands. Did you make that chair at six years old? I did, but with his help, but you know, I, I definitely understood three-dimensionality and, um, you know, maybe I, I thought it could all stick together with nails instead of screws, but I, mm -hmm. I did have that vision of how things all went together probably from watching him since I was, you know, younger than right. six or seven. But I'm super impressed because in woodworking world, for sure, like chairs are one of the hardest things to make. It um, wasn't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but still, I mean, right, right. I mean, but still, uh, you know, like you said, your grandpa could stand on it that I would have been pretty impressed with myself as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, stability is definitely woven its well through way through everything that I do. Um, you know, it, we can talk about this mm -hmm. later if we're not at this point, but the stability and longevity and, and things um, lasting a long time in addition to being nice in the moment is definitely something I've had at my core. Yeah. So did that continue then? I mean, on through, uh, you know, the building high, high school. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I, I always like to build, create things. Um, and so in, in junior high and, and high school, well, so in elementary school in California, you may know, um, in, in uh, fourth grade, you have to make a mission, like a di diorama of a mission. And everyone else did theirs out of cardboard or macaroni or something. And I did my, my front facade of my mission, I did on a jigsaw. Because so, <laughs> I had access to right, it. Right, right. Yeah. So yes, it continued through that. And then in high school, um, I became really interested in drama, but I'm dyslexic. And so 
and I don't know if there's a, a technical term for this because I feel I'm kind of too old to have been categorized in um, breaking it down into different things, but sometimes I get stuck on words. And so for me to remember um, lines was just, I'm really good at improv because I think that's probably what I did through my whole growing up life with dyslexia and trying to convey my thoughts. Um, but being on the front stage was not my calling, but I loved being behind the scenes and building sets and doing the lighting and, and running things. And so um, I remember one of my favorite sets that I built was, um, it was a, a vision of a, an apartment building and it, there was a kitchen and a living room. And then you had to show, it was both of them at the same time with a dividing wall and everyone was scratching their head like how are you going to show that you're looking at this and so i um decided to get it was uh i think it was wiggle board and we got two bits of wiggle board and cut them the same profile sort of like had been hatched hacked mm -hmm. away and then offset them by about four inches and then ran masking tape so it really looked like they'd been chiseled once they'd all been painted mm -hmm. and uh that was like so exciting that I could create this illusion of, of space with found common materials. Mm -hmm. um, so that was undergrad and, or yeah, really undergrad high school. And then in undergrad, um, I was a studio art major. And again, at one point in our senior year, uh, we, there was about 12 women who were all doing art and we were given an art space but it was this huge space and no one had their own little studio spaces and there was an issue of who was going to build something and I said well why don't we just come together we're smart young women we can figure out what we can do and um, we figured out if we did a, a zigzag then one person's wall could act as both sides if mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. makes sense um, and then I sort of orchestrated figuring out how much wood we needed and, and building it. So yeah, that's sort of been a central theme throughout. Okay. Um, about, so going to undergrad studio art, what was yeah. your, what was your desire, I guess, you know, with going into studio art specifically? What I was gonna do? Yeah. Yeah, you mean thinking as a 17 year old, what was I going to do with my life? <laughs> right. Um, well, I think it's really funny because um, people who knew me at that point, and I'm still friends with a few of them, which in my mind is <laughs> remarkable, um, that we would organically grow together and still like each other to have conversations. Um, apparently, I gave off the impression that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, internally, I had no idea. Um, I actually, at that point, was really interested in cinematography. And I thought mm. that that's what my calling was going to be, um, perhaps growing up in Southern California and, and being on the periphery of the film industry yeah. uh, and having a few connections there. Um, I thought, well, you know, it can't be that that hard to get into film and become a cinematographer. <laughs> the hubris of you. <laughs> um, so I did work on it. You know, I took a couple of film classes in, in school. Um, but uh, I think that the changing point for me was uh, I studied abroad in Paris 
in my junior year. And I didn't like any of the art classes that were offered through my school, um, but I found a stained glass class and I petitioned to take that instead. And I went up this tiny little, you know, third floor studio space and there was a, you know, the Eiffel Tower was framed out this window and my um, bench partner was a retired aristocrat with his little cravat, you know, and he was just dabbling in stained glass. And I immediately fell in love with the medium. And I just loved how it acted as art and architecture. Mm -hmm. And you could really translate um, multiple things, you know, and in hindsight, it's still sort of along the same path as cinematography, right? You're altering it's the artist's intent is altering something as you're filtering light, right? So mm -hmm. you can't manipulate light. So you manipulate what you can do to filter the light in, in your vision. Um, so I came back from that junior year and was just really impassioned with stained glass. And at that point, I had no idea what I wanted to do after I graduated, but um, I, uh, it was recommended to me by my senior thesis uh, supervisor that I apply to uh, a Getty internship program that at the J. Paul Getty Museum that gave opportunities for um, uh, people who who were just out of school or you know junior seniors or mm -hmm. just graduated to work in in the arts and uh, give the opportunity to. Um, the underserved. Although ironically, the single white mom that I had um, had been dragging me to museums since I can remember, right? So I was very cultured, quote unquote, um, mm -hmm. in, in many ways and had gone to museums and was exposed to theater and music and arts, but had not known about conservation at all. So I sort of applied on a whim at the last minute and got into the antiquities conservation department at the Getty. After I was accepted and met the other seven people who were accepted in different aspects at the Getty, we found out that there had been over 300 applicants. And, um, you know, there's one person per space. And I was a little shocked and somewhat daunted that I had been chosen <laughs> for, for the summer internship. Um, but again, it was one of those key moments for me in that I found a profession that paid the bills or could potentially pay the mm -hmm. bills paired with all my interests, right? So I had access to a, a museum collection every day that most people just go and visit once in a lifetime. I got to touch the stuff that no one else gets to touch. So that was, you know, the little subversive young person to me was like, this is awesome. Obviously with, you know, gloves and properly, um, but I had access to that. There was an art history aspect. Um, there was a research aspect. And on top of that, I got to use my hands, which I thought was, um, the most amazing thing. Um, and so to actually fix things and stabilize things, there comes the stabilization again. So other people could appreciate them. I just thought that was the best thing ever.
Um, so that was my summer internship. And then after this had been um, revealed to me, I was like, well, I got to do this for the rest of my life. How do I, <laughs> how, do, how do I do this? Um, and at that point, the people at the Getty graciously helped me research. This was pre-internet. So I had to go to the library and open <laughs> huge books and go through like, you know, internships, art, mm -hmm. internships, stained glass. How does it pair, you know, the medium that I'm most passionate about with the profession that I've just learned about. And at that point I found that, are you hearing these things? I'm so sorry. Yes, but it's not much. Uh, it's I, tiny. Okay. It's tiny okay. in the background. Yeah. Okay. It's just wind chimes. <laughs> um, so I found that this, um, these two things were married together in a graduate program at the Royal College of Art at um, the Victorian, the Royal College of Art and the Victorian Albert Museum had a joint conservation program in stained glass. So it was wow. very, very specific. So, um, uh, I applied to that, not really thinking about, they took one person every three years and people would apply from all over the world. Um, and I got in and that sort of led me on this trajectory as a profession. So I, I really strongly wanna circle back to something you said. Sure. <laughs> you said this, this program and highlighting for the underserved. Right. Did your advisor recommend that because of the color of your skin? Good question. I because think, I, I, I guess yeah. I asked, cause you followed that up with your single white mom. Right. <laughs> and I have a lot of melanin in my, in yeah. My, yeah. Right. So I'm, yeah. So I guess the, the other part of my history is that I am uh, proudly half Kenyan and half um, Californian really, really mm -hmm. like we talked about yeah. my mom's family. And so back in the day, you know, this, we're coming on almost 30 years ago when this, I, it was the first year of the program. So they were still getting their, their legs, mm -hmm. their sea legs for this opportunity. And I, you know, they didn't even have the vocabulary mm -hmm. of underserved. So I don't know exactly what they were looking for. I went to an all women's undergrad college. So maybe that was part of it. Um, I'm sure part of it was that uh, I was a brown person. Um, there, the diversity of the people in the internship program, what in my group. So they also, they also, there were, I think there was about a hundred all over Southern California, but there were seven who were working at the Getty. And out of that group, there were two Latinx, men, myself, an Asian woman, and then uh, a Caucasian woman, okay. but, right? So it's, you know, pretty diverse. I think the, the impetus of the organization then, and definitely, well, I guess I can't say definitely now because I haven't, you know, haven't been in it for so many decades, but it was giving the opportunity um, 
to younger people who may not have had access to those possibilities or those um, professions. And in all honesty, yes, having, you know, I had this great upbringing in that I did have access to a lot of museum trips and, and, and theater and music, but I had no idea about art conservation. Mm -hmm. In fact, you had to, I thought you had to check more than one that you were interested in. And so the other thing I checked was landscape architecture. Um, And they almost didn't choose me because they thought I'd be sad being inside (laughs) over the summer, you know, and, and instead this has put me on my whole career. So um, yeah, I mean, it's only sort of become more clear the further I've been away from it. Go see mom. (laughs) Sorry. Give me a second. It's okay. David, you can have her come up here. Jesse. Um, Before the crying five-year-old makes it up the stairs to come see me. Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, I ask that I am both, I mean, I'm both happy that that a, a program would exist to uh, provide opportunities for black and brown people in arts, in mm-hmm. the arts. But I also am a little bit like, I guess the audacity maybe to like ass- mm. assume something, right? About a person just by your looks versus right right I guess that's where I was kind of going with that if that makes sense yeah all right like an Um, an outward judgment right um I would have to say yes but Mm -hmm. um in that I think they should get kudos for considering and noticing that there was this gap in opportunities before it was a thing that you could, you know, put a gold star on your lapel and say, this is what we offer. Right. Um, And I also think that they, uh, they deserve, they, the institution of the Getty Mm -hmm. deserves kudos in that they also listened. So even if they um, went in under uh, not exactly false pretenses, but sort of like, you know, we're up on the hill literally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and offering you this opportunity, you should be so grateful or like, look at how great we are to give you this opportunity. They also gave us access to the top tier of management of the Getty Museum and the grant program. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting at a board board table or yeah, board meeting with all of the, the interns this first year and all the heads of the departments and them giving us an hour and saying, how can we help you? What can we do better? And listening. And I think that the fact that they did that and 
Um, I remember that there's a difference between saying, wow, all of you are so quote, well-spoken <laughs> and wow, all of you are so outspoken and have ideas that we hadn't considered we're going to start implementing these, which is what they, the latter is what they did. Mm -hmm. um, was, you know, quite commendable. And I don't think that, um, uh, I don't think that that many institutions were doing it at that time. You know, I, I won't let them off the hook completely, but I, you know, that I think what is so, um, so much of a challenge in, in these current times is that there's so much um, binary approach to how people assess things, right? You're either on our side or you're not on our side at all. And there's so much gray and there's so much nuance. So if someone's intent is there, but they're voicing it in the wrong way, they still should be invited to the party, but maybe given a different outfit, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, um, and, and so they've definitely grown over, over the years and have, you know, brought more people on their board and more people on the organization. Um, and, you know, who we were in that first year is not who the organization is now. Um, hey, makers, I want to tell you a little bit about today's episode's sponsor, Athena Outfitters. So when I'm in the market for a new pair of work boots, I do a ton of research, make sure I'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last. Well, Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has a ton Tons of experience with footwear. They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands. And when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boot, boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out athenaoutfitters.com, uh, gear with grit. And Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A -E and then outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM. That's capital M, capital M 15 for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And I also, at every point, make it my, my mission to continue to speak up loudly <laughs> on behalf of um, those people who may have been um, educated and given you know, opportunities within their households, but not opportunities within the larger community. Right. Because right. of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to come off as sounding like what the opportunity given was a wrong opportunity. To I be don't given. think you are. I think yeah. it's a, I think it's a great question. And I, 
you know, the fact that we're, we're talking about it and we're sort of teasing out the, the particulars of it, that needs to happen more, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I would say that we still need so many more opportunities um, yeah. for, for black and brown people <laughs> and indigenous yeah. people in right. the, in the spaces. Um, right. Uh, it is still far too white. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then also, I I also want to, you know, counter that as well and saying, you know, my, my time that I spent in London, I lived there for, for three years, definitely helped me to forge a, a perception of living in the States that I think is, is hard if you've, maybe not hard, but it's not, instantaneous if you live in a, a, a space and don't get to go and have different perceptions. So, you know, rural versus city or it just like county versus mm-hmm. county sometimes that yes, we're sort of driven through um, the lens of, of skin color, but what's equally um something to be considered is we have a class system we just don't call it a class system right oh, absolutely so the opportunity of people who have access because of their um economic demographics mm-hmm. it, it is on par with um with sometimes can be on par with skin color. And then when yeah. those two things are combined, it's exponentially more difficult, right? right? So, or how they identify too. Mm-hmm. So um, again, it's all those nuanced layers that should be considered. And that's something that- it, It's I, all the it's all the intersectionalities, right? Of and course. Traditional thing that you add on, <laughs> add, yeah. add and on then, top. And yeah. then like, right. just- But it, wait, there's more. <laughs> Right. Right. I mean, I mean, to that degree, like, yeah, I, I grew up, you know, yes, I'm white, but I grew up extremely poor and Mm -hmm. had, um, no access to the arts, you know, Mm -hmm. which, and I, and also grew up in a household that when I proudly proclaimed at five that I wanted to be an artist, it was like, oh, absolutely not. Like (laughs) you're going to grow and, and not have to have this life. Right. That's not what I want for you. I want something where you don't have to worry about, about financial stuff, you know? Um, But also I had an educated mother and such too, you know, just as much. So it's like, I still grew up with language skills and whatnot uh, just because Mm -hmm. of the environment I grew up in. But yeah, it's uh, more than just uh, skin color plays into right uh, access to the arts for sure yeah yeah I mean I remember even being told by a family member when I got my master's in staying class conservation oh we were worried when you were interested in the arts that you were going to be able to feed yourself I'm like it it took you to get to this point for you not (laughs) to be concerned I would think now you'd be more concerned right. because I have all this education and there's two places in the world with full-time stained glass conservators. And those are currently filled by right. people who are young. Right? Right. <laughs> this is the time to start worrying because I'm not doing anything else. Right. So, 
So that's yeah. so speaking of which, yeah. Yeah. So after uh getting your masters, yeah. What do you I mean what did I, I do? What'd you do? I mean, I know you you have your own your own business now. Did yeah. it start that way right out of the gate? No, um, it was sort of by the de- by default. So again, extremely lucky the stars aligned i um oh my goodness i'm sorry i just have to kill this this dinging even though i told them stop it they're continuing to do this um um, okay so i graduated and was offered a one-year fellowship um, at the museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, in their uh, their deck arts stained glass department. So I went there for a year, and it was it was a nice soft fall, right, going from one museum to another, and um, and then I. Um, after that year, I returned to California like a salmon and sort of like, all right, here, I've had all these great experiences. There are no job openings. What am I gonna do? And I landed at a a stained glass company that did restoration. And that was really great. Um, I was there for about three years, Um, but having experienced working in museums and from the get-go knowing about health and safety and seeing you know fume hoods and using gloves and thinking about uh, the chemistry of the the art and also the chemicals that we were exposed to I felt that there was well that and also documentation so we at museums, you document everything that you do. So you, either you're writing about it or you're taking photos before, during, after. Um, I thought that was really important to empower the client and or owner of the stained glass to help take care of their pieces after they're out of our care. And so it became apparent to me that what would work best for me was, was to start my own company. And I still had these connections to museums. so. Um, I'm grateful for that time that I was working in um, for another company, seeing how they ran their business, the things that I liked that they were doing, things that I would improve upon, things that I would not do. Um, And then on the side, they would give me, you know, a little bit of time off to go work on my side projects. So I would rent a bench from them and I'd work for museums. And after that, those three years, it became really clear to me that my path and the path of the company I was working for um, were, would be better parallel than me sort of, you know, toggling back and forth. And so I made the break and started my own company, which was basically just me. Mm-hmm. And I was just working on, you know, smaller projects. But through that experience, I met other skilled people. And, and one of them is now my, um, full-time studio head, Armel LaRue, who is a, an amazing artist in her own right um, and a great thinker person that I can bounce ideas off of. Um, and so I started hiring her for projects because we're still, even to this day, we're project-based. Um, 
and the company sort of grew. So, you know, I'd have a project here and there where I'd have to hire other people for, you know, to, you know, maybe working on the weekends to work for me. And then the projects grew larger. So then I'd hire one person and then I'd hire another person. And, and so the company organically grew, but I always was driven by doing the best to everyone's ability having that documentation conservation aspect that I learned when I was getting my master's and also thinking about health and safety. Um, and now almost 20 years later, I would say in the last three or four years, I'm at a place where uh, I can start sharing my, my knowledge and, and bringing in other people in in Oakland, which is where the, the company is based, giving them the opportunities that I was given and, you know, short, short-term internships or going to talk to schools um, and that kind of thing. So, you know, I would hope that I am knowledgeable enough of my biases that, that I am broader in, in who I talk to and how I talk to people um, about the work that I do. But I still, you know, based on what we talked about before, there are amazingly skilled people. And I, I always say these at presentations because often, you know, either I'm talking to people who are craftspeople or I'm talking to um, people at museums and sometimes how they hear things and what they see that we do is, is very different. And so even though I give my life story much more succinctly than you've given me time to share today, um, I say that that is not the only path to get to what Zilani does. So you can, you know, apprentice with someone or you can, um, you can read a lot or you can look on the internet and and all of those those ways of learning are valuable and should be valued on par with having a quote unquote traditional education. Um, so that's something I'm really passionate about, both in who we hire and who we talk to outside of who works within the company. Mm -hmm. Are you still, <clears throat> are you, you said you're still project-based. Um, are you doing um, like conservation work, um, repair work, all of it? Like what's your predominantly right. the, the type of pieces you're so working on? So up until um, last year, our main projects have been large scale monumental uh, conservation restoration projects. So talking about stability again, um, making sure that uh, windows, large scale windows and or domes are stable enough that people can enjoy them in their architectural structures. So that's churches or, you know, large um, city buildings. Since the pandemic, with people staying at home, and I don't know if this is something you've experienced with your work as well, we're getting a lot more residential work because people are at home looking at their windows. And so where before they would rush by a window on the way to work and they'd come home at you know seven or eight at night and there's no light coming through their window anyway, and then they have to you know have dinner 
if they have a family or, you know, pets or family and pets, they have to take care of them. They're not really looking at their windows and now they're home all the time. So they're noticing cracks in the glass. They're noticing that their windows are dirty. They're noticing that their windows are bowing. Um, and so um, not melting, which many people misconstrue as structural, structural failure. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're doing a lot more residential. And then in addition to that, um, I have amazing artists that choose to spend their time at Zilani as our employees. And even though we're extremely talented in matching the styles of other artists who came before us making, making windows and doors and domes, um, we also have new innovative ideas. So we're pursuing um, working on public art projects as well, um, mm -hmm. venturing out into that because we sort of have, we're this great arsenal of, you know, up to, we have a core of seven, we go up to, we've gone up to 20 when we've had larger projects. Um, so lots of great artists work, we work well together, we have to, or we're going to fall off scaffolding or drop a big panel, right? <laughs> so we know, we know how to function and fabricate, but we also have all these diverse artistic ideas and approaches and how exciting to be able to collaborate within the company or collaborate with the core team members as artists in their own right. So some of them come from a different discipline like glass mosaics or frescoes or painting or poets or even musicians. So how, again, that intersectionality of, for me, I get really excited about learning something new and not always being the boss, right? Pulling that that seesaw down so it's, there, it's more equal and I'm not mm -hmm. always telling them what to do or being the mass decider. Uh, or the final decider rather, um, I would, you know, I'd love to sit in the passenger seat a few times. That would be great. Do your hands touch every project? They do, but they touch them much less than they used to. <laughs> and, and that has been um, a painful and conscious decision because I know, you know, especially since we're project-based, we can, um, you know, expand and contract as, as needed. And I always knew that I could survive on my own on multiple different paths because I've gained all this experience, but I have chosen to let my company tell me what it wants to do. So for a long time, I said, you know, I want to be sure that I, I'm involved in everything really intimately. And so I have to keep this, the company small. And the company was sort of like stretching all the time saying like, I would like to be bigger and I will be more, I will function better and you'll have more projects and you'll be less stressed out if you let me be bigger. <laughs> and I kept on saying, no, I want to take care of everything. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, raising a child at some point, you got to just let it be what it, it's going to be. So yes, I'm involved in every project, but I may not, um, you know, I may not install every window. It got to a certain point that I, I kind of remember one of the main deciding points was I was 60 feet up on scaffolding, 
helping someone install a panel that needed two hands and my cell phone was ringing and my work pants and it was a new potential job that was going to be a, a year-long project and I was literally like, you know, which hand do I use? Do I help install this window and let it go to voicemail? Or do I pick up the phone and let my, you know, my, my scaffolding partner down holding all this weight? It just, it's, it's not sustainable. So um, I helped them put in the window, called the person back. And at that point I was like, we, we need to hire more people. This is just not going to work this way. Hi makers, today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at a checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. So yeah, I do a lot more work in, in front of the computer, um, but I always, um, I made a vow to myself that if I grew a company that was large enough to have other people working for me, that I, would have at some point always done the task that I asked them to do. And if I felt uncomfortable, if I would feel uncomfortable doing the task that I asked them to do, then it wasn't fair for me to ask them to do it either. So, um, you know, I know about all the tools. I know, I, you know, I've used one. I always get really excited. Um, you know, I, it was sort of a shout out back to you. I think I saw an Instagram of you dancing using a table saw. And I always do this happy dance, like whatever, whatever new tool we buy, that's my new favorite tool. Um, so most recently um, we got a, a Brad nailer that's battery powered. And I'm, I haven't brought it to the studio yet cause I've been playing with it at home. Um, although my kids, for some reason, it's not called Brad. It's uh, the Kevin Naylor. They gave it another name for some reason. Like, oh, that's Kevin. For some reason. Like, All right. <laughs> Can it do the same task? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so. One of those things where I, you know, it's a slip of the tongue. I'm like, ooh, I got new toys. I mean, right, toys. right. <laughs> exactly. And then when you like hand it off to the other people, be, be nice with this. Yes. I, that's the way I feel whenever my kids are like, can I try? And I'm like, uh, right. Yeah, okay. Let me see your hands. Are they clean? <laughs> yeah. um, so was there any correlation uh, given, I'm just, I'm doing a little bit of time math right. in my head here. So you've had the business for about 20 mm -hmm. years. Your oldest is 12. Yeah. So, I mean, was there a little bit of of loosening the grip around every project, touching every project around parenting? Around around parenting? 
Not with the first one. With the first one, I thought I could do it all. I still thought I could do it all. Erroneously, of course, but I thought I could do it all. Um, there's this great family photo, which will never see the light of day, but I can describe it to you, which was me holding my four month old with an earphone with a mic, locking in a deal, wearing a breast pump at home. And I got the job, but <laughs> it, that's not sustainable for anybody. Right? Like, <laughs> that's it's not, just, no. No. Um, so, no, I, you know, I think when the, the second one came along, maybe it was a little bit of loosening, but you know, I, I'm very lucky that I am not the primary caregiver to my kids. And so it's allowed me to be more involved in the company um, longer. And, 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 well, I guess just it's allowed me to be more involved in the company, even though I'm a parent as mm -hmm. well. Um, and we just play to our skill sets not to gender norms if there is such a thing as gender norms at this point you know um i it was more of a, a, a mental gymnastics rather than parenting i think i'm a very type a person so the the degree of like letting go and and being that high decision maker rather than hands in all of the mm -hmm. pies uh was was more of a challenge than trying to juggle parenthood and running a business. Okay. I would imagine to some degree that running a business and parenthood combined, like you'd already been running the business for a while before becoming a parent. So mm -hmm. there was some level of just, uh, you, you know your business, right? You're not right. learning the business. Right. Also, while Yeah, uh, I think that would parenting. have been, yeah, that would have been overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kudos to anyone who does that and keeps their sanity. <laughs> <laughs> and their I, relationship with their children, frankly. Right, right. One thing is going to have to go. Or right, right. Or it just takes longer. And I, I know most of us have no patience for the taking longer yeah <laughs> yeah 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 for sure do um, you I mean what you do mm -hmm. I don't even want to say is like atypical just given your your gender but it would be atypical even in the world of art right from what you're yeah. talking about there's just not a lot of people who do it so correct what like, what understanding does your family have around that idea of like, oh, mom doesn't just do like something that's atypical for a mom, but is atypical for, for people, for people? Uh, yeah, um, I hope and I think they know pretty, pretty well what I do. And for that, as much as I've been involved in the, the company, I've really made an effort 
to involve my children in, in what I do and in understanding in what I do. And I get that circling back around and having other people understand what I do. So starting from preschool, I went and did a, a presentation for the, you know, four and five-year-olds. It was, right. you know, five slides. I think I talked for three minutes about what I did. Um, and I've continued to do that since up until lockdown of last year, um, going into their classrooms and explaining what I do and couching it in a way that I hope their schoolmates also understand. So, you know, saying, you know, some people are really good at math and some people can draw and some people can build things. And there's lots of different you know, opportunities within my company, not one person has to do everything, but we all work together. And the one thing that we don't have um, that we can't teach is curiosity. But if you're curious, there's usually a, you know, there's a spot for you. And I always have this slide of, um, of the team sort of showing all the, you know, I say it comes in, everyone comes in lots of shapes and sizes and colors and, and that's okay. It's just what you do. Um, that's important to me. And I remember uh, at a certain point, the younger one in, in, um, in second grade said, well, when you come and talk, I want to talk, I want to do the presentation this time. And I said, that's great. Let's talk about it first. And um, she and I organized the, the slides and we both wore matching blazers, <laughs> and ties, because that was very important for, you know, presentation style. Um, and what I'm really excited about is not only do they understand the uniqueness of the, pro the projects that we tackle, but also the corollary to health and safety. So they know about lead exposure. They know about, um, you know, if, if I come back from a job site, they'll open the door and say, can I hug you? Or do you have to take a shower first? Like they, they're so conscious of that, um, which I think is almost more important than, um, than the work that, well, I guess it's on par with, you know, what we do, but I, I say that it's more important because that means that hopefully when they go out into the world, they think about their corporeal value on par with what the job is that they do. So they're taking care of their health and their safety and not compromising that for the work. Um, and we also like to watch uh, renovation shows on television. Who doesn't? I say, um, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not alone. That's I, I. I love it. My oldest will. He he came and got me the other night in the office. He's like, Mom, I found a new show that you and I can watch that I know you'll like. And it was like you know, home makeover. Or right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's those shows are so great. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm a sucker for them. I will watch them for hours on end and think it was only 30 minutes. But um, what I love is we'll be watching a show and the kids will get really incensed and say, where's their respirator? Why aren't they wearing safety goggles? Where's their ear protection? They're not going to last long, you know? And the fact that that's woven into 
their understanding of what good construction is, is great, right? Because I always say for my team and my family, I want them to be as healthy as possible so we can all do the work that we love for as long as possible and not be compromised by it. Yeah. And have to choose the project or your health. It should be both, yeah. right? Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Um, I, I we're like at the end of our time, but there's one more question I want to ask. Sure. Uh, You've because got as much time for me as you want, but I'm sure <laughs> you are caught up with time. So yeah, because <laughs> um, I saw I saw kind of the the smile come across your face and the passion when you talked about just in the presentation. Um, at, at your kids' schools about, you know, if you're curious, then we can find a place for you. Yeah. The role of playing, of being able to hire people and have a staff and not, and be able to be an example of not hiring based on, uh, looks or uh, pedigree mm-hmm. um, what does that feel like for you to be able to be in that position to be able to do that um, it's a heavy responsibility and I'm so grateful to be in that position um, I a couple years ago, I gave a presentation in um, West Oakland, in, in an elementary school in West Oakland, that um, there was, I think, something astounding, like 30% of the classroom, the kids were from immigrant families, and they spoke multiple languages. And, and so, you know, I gave my slide presentation, and then, you know, this hand came up, and, and, uh, one of the kids said, oh, well, but who's the boss? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm the boss. And they said, but, but you're, you said you're a mom, where are your kids? And I said, well, where, where are you right now in school? I'm like, where do you think my kids are? Oh, in school. Um, and the fact that, you know, these little light bulbs came on like, oh, you know, I, I looked like their sister or their auntie or their mom or their grandma. Um, that felt really great to me. And I feel like it's my responsibility that I've been given this, this opportunity, this, this great life that I'm living, that I get to go to work every day and work with these amazing people and, and bounce ideas off of them and get their input and their ideas and to truly value people based on what they bring to the table and not the package that they come come in um, is is just amazing and I'm just so I'm grateful to be in their presence and I and people often say, oh, you know, it must be so great to, you know, have that power or you're, you know, you're the boss. And I say, well, you know, I feel like I'm in service 
of my team. They choose every day to come to my company that I built. They choose to put in their best for years at a time to you know, spend most of their waking hours parallel with me. The least I can do is value that input and that commitment to that. My, you know, I'm, I can't decouple from my company. I can't quit and leave. They can. And so the least I can do is, is value what they're bringing to the table. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm humbled to it. I'm humbled by it. And I also am pretty proud and happy that I can, I can do it as well. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. That's why I wanted to ask that question. Um, sure. I mean, honestly, you, you very eloquently put it into words. What is my desire you know, to eventually grow my business to first fully employ myself. But beyond that, uh, I'm working on that one. <laughs> beyond that, uh, right. to employ others, um, to be able to employ others mm-hmm. that don't necessarily always, I don't know, that get passed over more often than they should. Right. Uh, again, based on looks or, or, um, or what they're perceived to know versus what they actually can bring to the table. Right, right. Yeah, and the fact that I get to learn from other people every day. I mean, basically, I just, what a gift, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to to choose the people that you get to be around all the time and, and people who question you and people who challenge your ideas, like how boring would it be to have, you know, 12 different Arianas hanging out? I mean, we drive each other nuts. Like it's so much better to have like diverse approaches right. and ideas, exactly. right? It's just so much more vibrant and, and it makes us a much stronger and interesting and, and valuable company, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, before I fully let you go, yeah. I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can follow along with you for, you know, with your work. Right. Well, we are on Instagram at Zilani underscore glass and Zilani has a silent Kenyan N. So that's N is in Nancy, Z-I-L-A-N-I underscore glass, G-L-A-S, S, <laughs> says the dyslexic person. <laughs> Um, I can smell Zilani, but I can't smell glass. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and uh, we also have a website, um, which is uh, www.zilani.com. Um, and in that, we have a couple uh, videos of the work that we do, too. So if you sort of dive in, there's multiple pages. So it gives background on who I am and, and what my how my company name came about, which is based on my, my Kenyan grandmother. So you can learn a little bit about her and see photos of granny who's still alive, even though she's close to hundred years old um, <laughs> and lives in rural Kenya, but knows there's a company named after her in the States. So that's pretty awesome. Um, and those are the two, two main places you can 
reach out to us. Um, and I, you know, I, it may take a few days or weeks to get back to me, but I do answer everything. You know, if I get questions, um, I love being a mentor to, to people who are interested in this field. Awesome. Thank you so much. Ariana, Thank for you for talking with me today. Yeah, <laughs> this was great. Cats and kids and all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Again, that was Ariana of Zalani Glass. You can find the links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes for today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode and all the previous episodes, please remember to hit subscribe, like, comment on your favorite podcast app. Head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that helps the algorithms know that not only do you enjoy the podcast, but others like you may enjoy it also. And don't forget to follow along over on Instagram, just at Maker Mom Podcast, and share with your friends about uh, all the wonderful makers you're learning about and let them know that you love the podcast and they probably will too. All of that is greatly appreciated by me and helps the podcast continue to grow and broadens the reach for more guests to be on the show. Also check out Patreon. That's just P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Maker Mom Podcast. There's a couple different tier levels over there. Um, a one, three, five dollar and thirty dollar tier levels available. And all of them come with different merch options depending on what level you pick. And all of them get you access to additional content such as live uh, interviews where you get to hop on the Zoom with me and the guest. And at the end of the episode, you get to ask your own questions of that guest. So that is something that will be happening monthly this year and will be available to anyone who is a patron. Um, also, if you've been following along with me on my own maker account, Freeman Furnishings, you may have seen me rocking uh, a Wonder Woman shirt for the Wonder Woman series or a Maker Mom tee. Uh, and you can have all of those swag options available as well at Maker Mom Podcast on Instagram. Hit the link in the bio and you can check out the available swag to help rep your favorite podcast. Okay, so when I'm not making a podcast and interviewing wonderful guests, you can find me designing and making furniture and home decor for bold homes at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across pretty much all the social media. So uh, some of you may be aware my website's been undergoing kind of a, a remodel. It broke my website basically broke last fall and I decided to hire somebody to fix it for me and <clears throat> it's been up and running but it hasn't been you know full throttle all because I still even though I hired it out managed to to be the person ha uh, hanging it up so but that is changing this week you can head over there and see some of the work uh, I've created and find podcast show notes and all that good jazz so freemanfurnishings.com and then like I said freeman at freeman furnishings across social media so YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest. I think that's all of them. Um I'm 
real regular on Instagram and TikTok. You can find me there on a daily basis. Um, <clears throat> so check me out over there. Come say hi. Say you found me through the podcast. I love hearing uh, about people enjoying meeting all these great makers. All right. So it is Friday. If you are anywhere near where I live, then you are in a blizzard at the moment. Uh, and this weekend is supposed to be brutally cold with a polar vortex heading our way. Uh, but perhaps you are not in this part of the country and you get to enjoy warmer weather, hopefully. I hope all of you have a great weekend and I hope you get to get out and make. All right, until next week, I'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Thank you.